Hey, good morning. Yeah, welcome home. So glad you're here. If you're a child uh, and you'd like to go to Children's Church uh, between the ages of three and fifth grade, you want to head to that corner. That's Cresia, and she's got big plans for you. It's all going to be great. God bless you. Have a great time. We're going to have a great time here. A um, couple of announcements that got shared with me uh, that I just want to let you know. There is a new life group that is starting tonight at the Brush Fire at 8 o'clock. Is that correct? That's Bucky in the Popeye shirt. Um, and if you have any questions, you can talk to him about it. All ages, anybody Yes, Brush Fire, 8 o'clock, if you'd like to uh, check out that new life group. Also, um, Austin, Austin, where are you, buddy? He might be praying somewhere. He does that. Um, but Austin Adams is, no, he, he does. During the service, he prays for you. He what? You know. Oh, you do. Oh, it's it's okay. He's always fully clothed. You know, it's a, Yeah. Okay, I don't do that later. If you're interested, you've heard about, like, going on the mission trip to uh, Costa Rica. He's also getting a group together uh, to go to uh, where Mark Perman is and the um, reservation in Gallup, New Mexico during spring break. If you'd like some information, he's going to be hanging around after uh, for that. Good. Good morning. Uh, missed you last week. Uh, glad to be back. I uh, had some business uh, for Western uh, in Denver. Uh, but listen, I heard the podcast. And what's more, I looked at the response forms of how you guys responded. First of all, Team Ryan rocked it. Way to go, guys. Way to go. Um, except for the fact that every time I leave town, I take heat for preaching too long. And uh, what do you think? That's not recorded? Like, I know about this. But if you go on the podcast on our website or on iTunes, you'll see they spent 52 minutes complaining about how I preached too long. Check it out. All the times are there. The last time I went 52 minutes was before Thanksgiving. Okay. If you're not nice to me, it'll happen today. Um, also, the way you responded to the ministries that you want to get plugged into, the service that you want to do, it was incredible. You guys are wonderful. The God moving on you and through you, that's great. Keep it up. We want that. If you, if you forgot or you were thinking about it this week and there's something that you wanted to plug into or sign up for, all of those sheets that were available last week are on that table to the left as you leave. So, so keep it going. It's beautiful. Lots to do this morning. We'll be looking at uh, several different scriptures, the first of which is in Matthew chapter 22. If you have your Bibles and you'd like to follow along, you want to turn there, Matthew 22. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like to use one, uh, look under the seat in front of you. There's, there's some spread out around the sanctuary. If you don't own one, that's yours to keep, uh, and you can take that home with you. Uh, this morning, we're looking at Bethany's purpose statement. If you're a member or a frequent attender here, it's very important that we keep in front of us that which God has laid upon us, the mantle that he has placed on us, the call he's placed on our hearts, on our spirits. It's important that we reconnect with that, that we continually get refocused, refired up, re-engaged, and, and, and focus on the game plan. If you're visiting us for the first time or first time in a while, 
uh, and you're not as familiar with Bethany, you're not as familiar with Jesus maybe, that's okay. You are so welcome here. We're so glad you're here. You get to see what makes us tick and, and, and in some ways what makes us so quirky and weird. Um, okay, so uh, we're a week away from the Super Bowl, so I thought I'd put this in, in football, you know, athletic terms. As a pastor, um, there are different roles that uh, I'm called upon to fulfill, and one of those sometimes is coach. Now, um, when you think of Bethany and coach and, and me, you're probably thinking of our World Series caliber co-ed summer softball team. Um, yes, that is a woo. And, uh, but it's not only that. Sometimes it's to coach the church. I'm talking about that. This is one of those times. It's important that we understand what we're doing here and what we're not doing here and what we're called to be, what we um, can't be. Or, or shouldn't be, and, and as church types, we can tend to get a little confused, and that should surprise absolutely no one. Um, so we have to refocus um, to, see, to see what God is calling us to. Um, and to put it in a nutshell, that one way that we sometimes get confused is even those who are most devoted among us tend to think that this time that, that we get together each week, or to put it in a way that some of you can relate to, that this time that we get together once a month um, is, is the game, is the point. No, no way, no way. This, this thing here that we do um, is very important, and I'm so grateful for it, but this is not the game. This is the locker room, okay? And so I want you to picture that we're here on the team, and we're suited up, and we're sitting on the benches in front of the locker room, and, and it's the pregame where we get the game plan, and the, 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 the whole plan from, from the general manager of the universe and what he wants us to go out and do. But the game is not, is not here. It's outside the walls. We do a lot of important things here. We lift up the name of Jesus. We praise him. We get encouraged. But the game, what we're actually called to go do is outside these walls. It's the other six days and 22 and a half hours of, of whatever it is that you're, you're about. That's where it takes place. So sometimes this is the pregame. This is the coach refocusing, right? We're all refocusing, and we're getting reengaged and re-inspired, and we're going to go, and we're going to take this, right, in his power and his spirit by his leadership. And sometimes it's the halftime when, we, when the score is a little discouraging, and we're thinking, we're not going to make it. We're not going to make it in our families, in our marriages, in our finances, in our friendships, in, in school, in, in whatever, or in reaching the city and the college for him. We're not going to make it. And he comes in, and, and at, at halftime, it's the, yeah, we got beat up, but Jesus is going with us, and we need to just get our butts in gear and go out there in his spirit and take this because you can. And I love each and last one of you. And we're going to go win this for Jesus, right? Because he's out there and he's going with us and he's going in us. Sometimes it's that halftime. It's out there. The game is out there in your homes, in your residence halls, in your classes, at your work, in your neighborhoods, in the city market where I often find myself. Um, that's why we so often say at the end of the end of the, the service, that this service is ended, but church is 
just getting started, right? And I'm not going to say that for real right now. Some of you wish I would, but um, we have some stuff to do in between now and then. But that's the truth. So here's our purpose statement. If you bring it up, Ryan, we're going to take a look at this, and I need you to help me read it if you would. Um, very easy. I'd ask you to sit up straight, clear your throats, and say it with me like you mean it. Bethany exists to be a growing, relevant family of missionaries who desire to see Western and Gunnison know Jesus Christ that we print this on every Thing. On our bulletins, sometimes we reverse Gunnison and Western and Western and God. It doesn't matter. Both of them, the whole kit and caboodle. If you want to know in an, in the smallest amount what this purpose that's been laid on our heart is, and, and before I before I get there, let me say, will you say how 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 did this come to be? A lot of prayer and fasting and being quiet before God and pleading with Him, saying, "This is your church. Um, this is you." This is for you. What do you want? And, and time in the Word. And I'm more sure about this mantle being laid upon this local body than I am about so many things. I've been married almost 25 years, and I am certain that I married the woman that God had for me. I want to tell you I'm as sure that this is what we're to be about as that and, and, and many other things. If you want to know in the smallest bite of why, what we're all about. The last two words, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. We live for him. We exist for him. We preach Jesus in all of scripture. We are scripture-rooted, God-focused, gospel-focused, cross-centered, Jesus-obsessed, people-passionate. Whether they belong to Jesus Christ or not, church where he reigns and, and, and we, are, we are consumed by him. We want to love him. We want to receive him. We want to glorify him. And we want everybody, whether they're church types or not, whether they belong to Jesus Christ or not, to know how much he loves them, how he sacrificed himself so that they can have life, they can have hope, they can have freedom, they can have forgiveness, they can have new life. And, and that's what it's about. So um, somebody might ask, why don't we have Scripture in our purpose statement, if we're scripture-focused. Well, this is drenched in scripture, actually, and we're going to see that. Actually, we are rooted in two great scriptures, the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. So we're going to look briefly at both of those. The first is in Matthew 22. Some of you are already there. We're going to pick it up in verse 36. What is happening here is that Jesus has been approached by a lawyer who's trying to get to the bottom of this. And he says to him in verse 36, he's addressing Jesus, and he says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, Jesus replied, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the great and first commandment. Verse 39, And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. We are to love God supremely with everything that we are. Every ounce of emotion and heart and will and desire and thought and speech and deed, everything. Why? Because Jesus has already loved us that way. It's in response to his great love for us, right? And the second, we're supposed to love other people 
love other people, right? Passionately. Because that's what he does, right? So the first thing we learn from the great commandment is it's first about God, right? And it's second about other people. So what conclusion do we draw from that? It's not about what? It's not about me. This whole thing, this whole life, this whole plan of God is not about me and what I want and living life I want and what concerns me, how comfortable I am, all of this stuff. It's not about me. It's about him. It's about others. And in that, I find the best me I could ever be because he lives through me in that and you, right? So actually, turning away from self is the best thing that you could ever receive, right? So it's not about us. And we go to the Great Commission. A few pages to the right, that's in Matthew 28. Look for verse 18. That's where we're going to pick it up. Jesus again is speaking. He's died and he's risen. And he comes to his followers Verse 18 says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. To the end of the age. It's all about who? It's all about Jesus. And then who is it about? Other people, right? And even those who are far from him, especially those who are far from him, that they might know that he loves them, that he came for them, that he lived the life that they could not live, that he took their sins, their offenses before God, and nailed them to the cross. He died the death that we all deserved, so that in him, as he rose, he might put his resurrection life within us, and we might have life and forgiveness and freedom because he's paid it all. And he says, as you go, I'm going in you. I'm going with you. I have all authority, all power. If this seems daunting, don't worry. I'm doing it. I just want to use you. So that's good news. It's sometimes not called the great commission, but the great omission. Because we're not really cool with that. We tend to think that that is the job, right? Reaching people, making disciples. That's the job of like professional God worshipers, like um like me, like the Ryans, like uh, Marlene, like, and it's not. It's his call to everybody who follows him because where's he going? He's going out beyond these walls to all nations because his love is so intense for people who belong to him and people that don't yet know they belong to him, to people who know they, that he loves them and people who don't know and are, are trying to, to find him or find satisfaction to find life in ways that aren't satisfying, that aren't life-giving. And he, he loves them. We're going to look at that. We're going to look at that. I want you to think about the great commission, not as just an assignment. This is your mission, should you choose to accept it. It's not just that. I want you to think of it as co-mission. We're going on mission together with Jesus and, and how blessed we are if we for followers of Jesus Christ to, to be called to do that. So we're going to take a couple of uh, 
phrases from our purpose statement and really unpack them and see what that is. Um, one leads to the other, I would say, first. Um, the great commandment, if we're going to love God with all our heart, uh, the first song we said, where you go, I'll go. What you love, I'll love. What you do, I'll do. If we really love God with all our heart and we're, we're spent for him, we're just saying, Lord, this is your life. This is your body. You purchased it for me. You created me. You won me back on the cross. You, I'm yours every day, every moment, every effort. It's yours. I want to love who you love. Guess who he loves? Everybody. Those who are in the church, those who can't stand the church, those who love Jesus, those who hate Jesus. And if we're his people, we're going to do the same. So they're connected. We really can't do the great commandment unless we do the great commission. And we can't do either in our own flesh. It takes him to love him supremely. It takes him to bring him through us to other people. So we're completely dependent. But the good news is he has all authority, all power. He's placed that in us. He's going. We're going. We're a growing family. If you bring that back up, the purpose statement, Ryan, please. I want you to take a look. Be a growing, relevant family of missionaries. Now, we're going to pair growing with family and relevant with missionaries. So let's look at growing family. We're going to be growing. That's what it means. One thing, we're going to grow deeper, right? We're going to be disciples. We are going to plumb the depths of God's love for us, of his word, of everything. We want to grow in him because he is life. And the more that we press into Jesus, the more alive we become. And so our lives, rather than be a progression of ever-increasing death, become a progression of ever-increasing life with him. And so on our final day, I just had a friend who, who texted us this morning um, whose, whose mother passed away. And, and she's a follower of Jesus. So here's what happened. She did did not, although her body was dying, she did not move on a life of ever-increasing death and then finally die. She moved from ever-increasing life into full life eternally, right? And she was experiencing that, and she got swallowed up in life rather than swallowed up in death. Okay, um, I, I, chased, I chased something there. So we're growing deeper. We're growing deeper in him. That's what it means to be a disciple. We're pressing in as he presses on us. And we're growing wider. This family, he's, he's content that he, he, God wants everybody. Everybody. There's room at the table. There's room in this church. There's room in our hearts for everybody. So we're growing wider. We're not content until everybody knows that we desire to see Western and Gunnison know Jesus Christ. That's, that's our passion right? This family is growing. It's growing bigger. Now, some of you have family, and you, you said, um, I'm not real sure. Uh, I want that. I grew up in a family that was dysfunctional. Uh, I don't want to do that again. And uh, I just want to encourage you, this is a different kind of family. And some of you grew up or, or now have a very strong and loving family. This is even more that God wants for you. He wants us to love each other in gospel community. And what that means is that we're so close. We grow so close because we have the same Father God and the Father God reigns over us and he comes and reminds us that he's got it all in control, that his plan is never thwarted, that his love is never diminished. And we have a big brother, Jesus, who is watching over us, who is interceding for us, who is rescuing us, who is, who is sacrificing for us. He is 
our brother. He is the firstborn of all creation. And he has adopted, the Father has adopted us through him. It's wonderful. And we have the Holy Spirit who is the love and the energy and, and the relationship glue and the great comforter. And, and we have this family. And we have hundreds of people. We have hundreds of people just in this congregation and people who, who come here and invest their hearts here and follow Christ through here. We have hundreds of people in the greater body of Christ, thousands upon millions upon millions of people who are there for you. This local body, I can speak to this. We're, we're here for each other. And that's why God calls us to enter into that relationship and why we push life groups. Life groups, oh, what I've learned through my life group is I can, I have a love relationship with a growing group of people that is continually expanding and is teaching me about how much God loves me and it's giving me opportunity to show brothers and sisters how much he loves them through, through me. And we have this relationship, people, most of whom I really didn't know and now would sacrifice anything for. You know, that's what we need to be for each other. We celebrate each other's joys. We carry one another's burdens. Nobody goes down alone. If you're suffering, you're not doing it alone. If you're poor, there are people here who will support you. If you're, if you're hurting, there are people here who will comfort you. If you need opportunity, there are people here who will pray for you and open doors for you. This is the body of Christ, and, and that is the family we're talking about. We need to grow deeper. We need to grow wider. It's wonderful. One of the other things this family does is it holds us accountable. It holds us accountable. That's something that, that I and all of us need. We don't necessarily want. We need to let people in to have refrigerator rights in our lives. You know what I mean? To get into and, and not have to ask permission to go into the deepest places and call us on our garbage, on our junk. Say, Tom, I know you speak about this. I know you believe this. I'm just not seeing it in your life. Are you struggling in this area? Because if you are, I want to come alongside you. I want to encourage you. I want to speak life into you. I want to share scripture with you. I want to pray with you. I want to see you have victory in this area of your life. We need to do that for one another because we love one another. And we want all that God won for us on the cross evident and flourishing in each other's lives. So that's what, that's what the growing family is. How about relevant missionaries? We want to be a growing family of relevant, relevant family of missionaries. So let's, let's take a look at missionaries first, and then we'll see what kind of missionaries we're to be. What does it mean to be a missionary? It means to know the truth of the great commandment and the great commission, that it's not about you. Missionaries know it's all about God, it's all about Jesus, and it's all about others, right? So first off, Missionaries go where people are because of a great love for God and a great love for people, especially people who are far from him. And they go love him, love them as Jesus loves them, and they are living proof of the God that they speak of, and they do speak of it. So missionaries are passionate about God, and they're passionate about people, even those, especially those who are far from God. Here's being a missionary 101, very brief, very short. Go and play show and tell. Go and play show and tell. Now, um, one thing to keep in mind, because we've been talking about mission trips. Mission trips are great. Um, and so we've got opportunities to go to Costa Rica. We've got opportunities to go to other places, Gallup, New Mexico. And, and some of you have gone on mission trips around the world, and that's important. That's what the Word of God calls us to. But you need not go on a trip to be a missionary. 
for the follower of Jesus Christ. Your entire life is a mission trip. The only difference is some are called to go across the street and some of us are called to go across the globe. But every day, every moment for the follower of Jesus Christ is a mission trip. Go to the people who are hurting, who are lost, who are, who are suffering without me and bring my love to them. Bring my message of, of, of hope and salvation and life um, to people who most need it. No matter the cost, no matter the inconvenience, because it's not about you. It's about me and it's about them. And thank God it is. Because one time, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you were that. And he loved us. And he sent people to speak life into us, to share the gospel with us, to love us home. And now he says, you're home, but we're not done. Because not everybody's home yet. So I'm going to indwell you and call you to let me use your body, let me use your hands, your feet, your heart, your voice to love people home to me. That's a missionary. We don't huddle around where the church is. Many traditional churches are inward focused. What do we want? What do I prefer? What does this little body want and need? <clears throat> Bring people here. They can, they can come hear the gospel in our creepy little setting that doesn't make much sense to them. Um, missional people, missional churches are not with every arrow coming into the church, it is every arrow going out of the church, right? He says, go. That's the first part. Go. Go beyond these walls. That's where the game is. This is the locker room. Go. Go, team. Because that's where the game is won. That's where the people who are hurting are. And, and we're going to heal hurts and, and do all that here. But we got to go. We got to be outside. And we have to ask the question, what are they suffering from? What are they dealing with? What do they need? And go, go love them. Go meet that need. Export the church to the streets. Export Jesus to the streets, to the neighborhoods, to your work, to your residence hall, to your the city market. That's where church happens. Missionaries export Jesus now, you can always bring people here to hear the gospel. You can always bring people here to hear the gospel because we preach the gospel to the saved and the unsaved, uh, the found and the lost, the, the people who are close to Jesus and those who are far from him because of its great power and great depth. We'll never find the bottom of that. How to respond to love such as that, that, that for people who would mock him and spit on him and hate him, as I have done, as you have done, and, and to love them supremely and sacrifice yourself to wash away everything that stood in between, to forgive sins, to take that punishment upon himself so that the people he loved would not be in that situation, would not be separated from God? How do we respond to that love? That's what we unpack in each other. That's what the Holy Spirit presses on us. That's, what, that's why we spend time in the Word you can always bring people here to hear the gospel. I love it. I encourage you to do it. But if I've learned anything working at the college and talking to a lot of people, it's that the, there, I would say the majority of people that, that, that you lo, know and love would say this. And I, I think it would bear out in your own experience. They would say, I believe in, in a God, in a higher power. What I don't buy is organized religion. And, and I'd encourage you to tell them that we're disorganized and not very religious. And, but we're, we're obsessed with knowing Jesus Christ, right? But even for many people, that's not going to be enough to get them the comfort to walk across the threshold and into a church that may have hurt them 
or that they may have misconceptions about, or that fellow brothers and sisters, ourselves included, may have misrepresented in a hateful, hurtful way. <clears throat> you know, look at Tucson. What is that? What is that bonehead church that is always telling people how much God hates them? You know what I'm talking about. There's some Baptist group, and it just kills me. And, and, and people draw the conclusion that that's what church is about. That's what church people are about. So it's tough for people to make that transition and come here to hear the gospel sometimes. But guess what? They will know you. They will have a relationship with you. And if Christ is living in you, then they can meet Christ that way. Introduce them to your best friend, to their best friend, who they don't know is their best friend, their lover of their souls, their savior, their rescuer, their God who created them and wants them to have life. That's what we're talking about. We can tell them all we want that it's not religion, it's relationship. We need to be living proof of that in our relationships. Though it costs you everything, love them. Though it presses on you, love them in stupid and sacrificial ways that transcend what reasonable people would do. Give, love, hold hand, pray, do it. Be loving proof, living proof of the God that we talk about and that we follow. They're worth it. They are so worth it. Uh, In fact, if you want to live out the great commandment and the great commission, here's something that missionaries know and missionaries do and we're all called to. You must love, we must love people who are far from Jesus Christ much more than we love our religious preferences. I'll say it again. If we're to follow Jesus Christ and follow the great commandment and the great commission, we must love those who are far from Christ far more than we love our religious preferences. I just want to hear the songs that were playing when I received Christ 50 years ago. God bless you. I want you to be more concerned about what is happening that will bring people to him today, right now because they're more important than we are. And so we'll do anything short of sin to communicate the gospel, the love, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I would preach in a tutu and get McBride to play the bagpipes up here if it would bring more people to Jesus Christ. We can't confuse message and method. The message never changes. The message never changes. The method must always change because people are changing. Because people are changing. Culture is changing. We must communicate. That's what it means to be relevant. And I'll tell you, we didn't invent it. And the word relevant scares some people because it was associated and still is with uh, a segment of the emerging church. And that segment says, well, we want to be so relatable that the things that offend them, like the cross, like the Bible, like gospel, like truth, we're going to kind of push that to the side. And we're just going to love on people. Well, loving on people is a good thing, but changing the message, never. We may be one of the most orthodox believing churches around, even though we do things in a very strange way. We'll do anything if it'll help people to, to hear in the language that they speak, to see with the eyes that they have that God is real, loves them, sacrificed for him, them, and, and wants to bring them home.
That's what we do. That's what we always have to do. Paul believed this. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It's amazing. It's amazing that somebody <clears throat> that most Christians rightly assume is a very theologically sound and very staunch kind of guy, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 9, pick it up at verse 19. Here's Paul's passion for people who are far from Christ that so transcends his religious preferences. Here it is, verse 19. He says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. It's not about me, it's about them, that I might win more of them. Verse 20, to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being under the law myself that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not the law that I, um, I'm sorry, I got lost. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. You see in, you see in the pattern? Verse 22, to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. Get this, I have become all things to all people, so that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. That's a cross of Christ. That's a person of Christ. That's the good news of Christ for them that I might share with them in its blessings. Paul knew the secret that it wasn't about him. It wasn't about the experience he wanted to have. It wasn't about what, what his preferences were. It was about doing whatever short of sin it's going to take to bring the people he loves because God loves home. He preached in a tutu. And sing to bagpipes or anything in between. Whatever it takes, whatever it costs. That's us. That's what we call to be. Never change the message. Use whatever method. Whatever method. That's what it's about. Paul didn't invent rel- being re- relevant. Certainly the church didn't. Jesus did. We don't make Jesus relevant. We show how relevant Jesus is to every area of our lives. The complaint that many people have is, it doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't have any bearing on my life. He has bearing on all life because he created it. He sustains it. And without him, there is no life. Jesus invented being relevant because at his incarnation at Bethlehem in the year zero, he came as one of us, right? He didn't come as this glowing, pulsing um, disco ball that spoke. He could have, even though disco wasn't quite popular then. He knew it would be at one point. Um, Jesus didn't come as a talking ostrich, right? What did, how did Jesus come? In a way that we could most relate to him. He put on our skin. He took on our being, he, he became like us so that we might understand that he wants us to become like him through his sacrifice. He was relevant. He is relevant. We must be relevant. We got we to gotta use, I mean, look at the gifts. Some of you are athletes. You could speak of the one who won the greatest victory to other athletes. Some of you are teachers. You could talk about the greatest teacher that ever was, who taught us the way to come home, be reconciled to God. Some of you are in construction or or building or repairing. You can talk about the creator of the universe who made us into being a people that we didn't want to be in here. Now he's buying us back and rebuilding us. That's relevance. Thank goodness we all speak a different language of, of the heart because 
Everybody beyond these walls does too. If you're into finances or accounting, you can talk about debt and the debt we owed and the debt he paid and the real bottom line that Christ has said, paid in full for you. Okay, so we're a growing family of relevant missionaries. <clears throat> we're going to close. If you'll bring that um, back up. Who desire to see Western and Gunnison know Jesus Christ? Desire. That should be consumed. That should be yearning. That should be groaning inside. That is our greatest hope. That is our greatest charge. That is our greatest goal. If we become um, this, the greatest success in our chosen field, in our calling, that God can make us, if we are married to the right person for the, for the most amount of time, if we raise godly kids, if we have every comfort, if we have every joy in our life, but we don't see people coming by droves to coming home to Jesus Christ, coming to the cross, being saved, being rescued, being rebuilt, being sanctified, being sent back out to call everybody else that he loves and we love home. If we don't see that, if we don't experience that, then the core desire of our life will be unrealized. We desire him. We desire his will and his desire is to redeem and, and reconcile and save we desire to see Western and Gunnison know Jesus Christ. That's a pretty tall order for a local body, right? There's probably 7,800 people, roughly, give or take, if you combine people in Gunnison and people at the college. I am praising God all the time that in 2010, we're going to have our business meeting, so we're looking at how 2010 went. 32 people made first-time professions to Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ as Lord. They were saved. They came into that family. Praise God for that. That's all his work. Fifteen uh, of those people took a step of baptism in faith to, to move forward and, and be obedient to that. We praise God for that. His call, and I, I tell you, this is not a pipe dream. This is a prophecy that Gunnison and Western will be so swept up by the Holy Spirit, by the truth, by the love of Jesus Christ and what he's done, that they would come home to him in large numbers. And, and, and we praise God, 32, through the ministry of Bethany and, 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 and mainly through, uh, as God has used you, to, to love on friends and encourage them and, and people we love to, to come home and start that relationship that will last in eternity, right? Thank you for being faithful. So how do we move from 32 to 7,800? Um, show of hands, we did this in the first uh, service. Um, who has face? Most of you are on Facebook, I know. Um, show of hands of, no, I stalk you. Um, I, I mean, I'm friends with you. Um, <clears throat> it's part of my job. I'm just here for you. If you have 400 or more friends on Facebook, raise your hand. 400 or more. Oh, oh, come on. Come clean. I know. I can count them. I can go on your profile. I can see how many friends you have. Yeah, lots. You add that up, that's more than the population of this town and this college. Now, there's some overlap, to be sure. Pick one. Pick one that God is laying on your heart. What do you do then? What do you do then? Eat, pray, love. Now, 
I didn't particularly like the movie, but I had to pick something that you'll remember, and you'll remember that, right? Eat. Now, maybe you eat or you don't, but it's a great way to build a relationship. It's to share. It is. It is. It means connect, right? Connect. Enter into the life of somebody else. Care more about them than you do yourself. Find out what makes them tick, what concerns they have, what joys, what hopes, what background. Enter into their lives. Start to carry their burdens. Start to be the kind of love that Christ has for them. Be living proof of that. Eat. Connect. Pray. Go on your knees daily, maybe more than once a day, and and plead with God to, to somehow... Reveal to them how much he loves them, how much he wants them home, how much he, he wants to breathe life into them and, and, and have them come to the cross as we have, or, or many of us have, and, and find life and forgiveness and freedom from chains. Because people we love, people we love apart from Jesus are thirsty and they're drinking sand and they're hungry and they're eating cardboard and they're wondering why they don't have life and they're breathing and they're breathing dust. And you have all the oxygen, and you have all the drink, and you have all the food because Christ is in you. And what we want to get to the point is that we love them enough that we're not okay with them having a counterfeit life, which is really death. Now and for eternity, we're not okay with that. We love them too much because Christ loved us too much. And he's calling us. He's pleading with us. Go, go, eat, pray, and love. Love them home to Christ. Show and tell. That's what we need to do. Jesus loves them. I'm not talking about proving that what we believe or what I believe is superior to what they believe. I'm not talking about winning some theological argument about how Noah got two of every kind of animal on the boat and how he kept the mountain lions from eating the little baby rabbits. I'm not, I'm not talking about um, getting them to join this church, although we'd love to have them part of this local family so that we can love on each other and build each other up and become deeper disciples. But I'm not talking about that. I'm not even talking about, I mean... Don't let the word fool you. Jesus didn't call us to go out and make Baptists. That will be offensive to some of you. It's not. So I don't care what stripe you are. I don't care. He's not called me to turn people into conservatives. He's called us to go introduce them to himself, his people, to their God, their Savior, their Rescuer, that they might know Jesus Christ. I'd love to have him here. I'd love to have that wonderful love relationship where we challenge each other. We go out together and, you know, we do all of life unpacking his love for each other. I'd love that. But our call is that they meet him, that they know him. And that's what we're about. So how do they meet Jesus? By first meeting you. He lives in you, so love them home. If it feels like something you have to do rather than something you deeply want to do, I get it. I get it. The prophet Jeremiah got this too. If we look in Jeremiah 20, verse 9, here's what Jeremiah was saying. He says, he's speaking about himself. If I say, I will not mention him. I will act as though I don't know God. I'm not going to talk about him. I'm not going to share him or love other people or speak anymore in his name. There's a problem. 
There is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. That the love of God for him and for other people was so strong that if he acted like he wasn't belonging to him, like he didn't care about other people knowing him, he had heartburn. His bones ached. It was so strong it was going to burst out like a, like a broken dam. And he couldn't hold it back or he would physically suffer. And you're saying to myself, yourself, I know God. I know that's what you want. I'm not there. Welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. Here's the good thing. Realizing that is the first step. The second step is knowing that God only calls us to that which he's willing to do in us and equip us for. So maybe the next step for some of us this morning is to say, God, I want that heart that Jeremiah had. I want that heart that was in you, Jesus, that loves people and knows of your love and your grace and, and, and the most beautiful gift you ever gave, giving your life for ours on the cross in our place as our substitute for our sins and rising again so that we could have real, honest-to-goodness, deep, ever-increasing eternal life in you. I want it for everybody. I want to want it for everybody. I don't yet. I'm sorry. Transform my heart until I have to speak of how beautiful you are to people who need to know how beautiful you are. I need to live out your love for people who are love-starved or else I'll have heartburn. My bones will ache. That's how much I want. And I don't want to be like one of those creepy guys who forces the issue all the time. Oh, gee, this soup is hot. Oh, but it's not as hot as the fires of hell for all those who don't come to Jesus Christ. That's just scary weird. We want to enter into people's lives in a relevant, real way. Oh, don't you think it's weird that Jesus is so real and so alive and so that sometimes we're convinced we need to dress differently and act differently and, and pretend we're people we're not and talk like people we're not to worship a God who is real. It amuses me. I think God smacks his head a lot. Look at my kids. They're a wreck. I love them. I love them, though. Jeremiah 29. Let's take a step to that. Figs. There's figs on the table here. These are dried figs. This was before the Newton was invented. This is what it looked like. This is a little, um, because they're dried, you can't get, um, you can't get fresh figs in, in Gunnison. I know you're shocked. You can't get good men's underwear here either. Probably the only two things, though, right? But a real, uh, uh, a fresh fig is really a, a beautiful fruit. And it's hard to tell by looking at this. Um, um, it's a little like trying to describe a grape by showing somebody a raisin. But uh, they're tasty and they're good. And in the tree series, um, which we uh, have been in uh, this month, uh, we talked a lot about life as a tree and how God has plans for this tree in the new year. If you haven't listened, I ask you, there's a lot of truth uh, for us from God's word for our lives, particularly for this year. I'd ask you to go on the website and, and give it a listen. I, I guarantee you each of those ventures will take you less than 52 minutes. 
But in, uh, in, uh, in part two, where uh, Jesus is teaching in Luke 13, he talks, us, he talks about us as a tree that God the Father has planted in the vineyard. And God has come back again and again and again looking for fruit, looking for figs on the fig tree, which fig trees are supposed to produce, but it never has. So Jesus pleads with the Father. The Father says, cut it down. He says, please, no. I love the tree. I'm going to break up the ground around the tree. I'm going to fertilize around the tree. I'm going to give my life for the tree. Give me one year to love this tree back, to, to fertilize this tree back into health so that it's bearing fruit. Right? That's what he said. And, and we talked about fruit and the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, that if we're bearing fruit, all those things are going to be breaking out in our lives and out of our lives into everybody else. But fruit is something more. In fact, science would uh, define fruit as the part of the, of the plant, of the structure of the plant that contains seeds. And I, I cut a few of these um, figs open so that you could see one of the cool things about figs. Can you, can you see inside there? Can you see what's in there? Um, they're edible, but what you see in there is hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of seeds in one fig. In one fig. So a tree um, would produce hundreds of figs, each that would contain hundreds of, of seeds. Now, each one of these seeds has the divine potential to grow into what? Not a fig, but a fig tree, right? Each one of these seeds has the divine potential to grow not only into a fig, but in a fig tree that would produce hundreds of figs, in which would have hundreds of seeds, each one. This seed, every seed in here is a person. I want you to think about it not only being the gospel, but it being a person that needs the gospel planted in among them. So when God is calling us to bear fruit, he's saying, I I want you to be a fig that's loaded with hundreds of seeds. And as you go through life, I want you scattering them. I want you planting them. I want you watering them. Because I want everybody bearing fruit. I want everybody home. I want everybody alive. Now, does the fruit make the tree alive? No. It just shows that the tree has life. So a lot of us spend a lot of time going through the motions looking like a healthy tree without fruit. And he says, this year, I'm going to break up the ground. This year, I'm going to give myself fully. This year, I'm going to fertilize. This year, I'm going to love that tree like it's never been loved, that it might be fully alive and bear fruit. So there might be other fig trees and more seeds and more people home. That's what, that's what it's about, Matthew 9, and then we'll, we'll be done. Matthew 9, Jesus prayed. We'll pick it up in verse 35. Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, when he talked about crowds, the vast majority of these people don't believe him, have not received him, have not surrendered to him. He loves them. He saw the crowds. He had compassion for them. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to know this. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to know this. That people who are far from him, he is not angry. He is not looking to punish. He wants them to know he punished himself on behalf of, their, of them. He does not 
he misses them. He longs for them. He wants them home. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, although the shepherd was right there. And he said to his disciples, as he said to us, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I have been planting seeds myself all over the place in the lives and hearts and minds of people you have no idea. And, and they're about ready. If the time is now, go. My people pray. And Jesus is praying this over the city. He is praying this over Jerusalem. He is praying this over Gunnison. He is praying this over Bethany. He is praying this over this body. He is praying this over us that we might pray, that we might be the answer to that prayer to go out and take in the harvest. But the laborers, he said, are few. There's 7,800 works I'm doing in this town. I need more hearts. I need more hands. I need more people who are so consumed with me and so in love with people who are far from me that they go and let me do my work of love and redemption through them. A lady walked into my office. <clears throat> I was in my office yesterday finishing up some things I, I didn't get done at, at work at Western's. And, and, and um, she was doing some cleaning. It's as easy as this. She uh, had a hurt wrist. And um, I said, what happened? And she said, well, last Easter I fell and, and, and I broke it and I've had four surgeries and they can't, they can't fix it. I said, well, let's start here. I got something much more safe for you to do this Easter. Okay? I said, uh, you know, I, and I, I, I told her about the church and, and, and what, we, what we do and invited her. And, and, um, and I said, you know, you've been carrying this around for a long time. Would you, would you mind? And, and we try this. Just say, can I pray for you? How many times do we say, oh, you'll be in my prayers? I have never asked to pray for a person and they've said no. Can I pray for you? No. Can I ask God to bless you? No. I really, you know, it hasn't happened yet. It might, but the chances are really great. So it's as much as taking a hurt woman's wrist in your hands and calling upon the God who made her, who loves her, to deliver her from this pain and every pain in her life and to be her all and ask his blessing upon her and that he would show himself strong so that she might know how much he loves him. And when we finish, she's got, she's holding back tears. And I said, what's going on? She said, well, I've just had it on my heart that I need to connect with God and find a church. And I'm so glad we, we met. You have a divine appointments every day. Every day. Take them. Love people home to himself. That's just one instance, and it's quick. Many others take years of love and kindness and, and sharing. But whatever it takes, whatever it costs, we want to see everybody home. It's not a pipe dream. It's a prophecy. It's what's on God's heart. Let's pray that he places it on ours.